There's none like our God. One of a kind. Good morning, everyone. Is it getting hot outside yet? <laughs> I'll just preach longer than we can stay in the air conditioning. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, good morning. My name is Matthew Nicosia, director of BBC Kids here at Valley Bible Church, and it's my privilege to, uh, to be preaching, pinch hitting here for our senior pastor, Philip Howard, who's in Oregon, filling in a pulpit for uh, Justin Green, who came down months ago to share with us. And uh, so we're, we're happy to hear that he's, he's up there and doing well. So um, if you would open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 6, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, it's on page 311. If you're using the Pew Bible available there to you, I invite you to join us as we open God's Word together this morning. Pastor Phil has been going through a series of foundational truths uh, for life key doctrines, key things that we all need to know as followers of Jesus Christ. If indeed you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, you put your faith and trust in Him. But even if you aren't, these are foundational truths that you need to know so that you can come to know God. Uh, I'm not going to continue in that series today, but we are going to be looking at one aspect about God today, about His immensity. And uh, it's, it is such an immense subject, His immensity, that I think that it would be absolutely appropriate as we open God's word this morning that we ask for his help and ask for his illuminating ministry to our eyes and our hearts and our minds that he could help us understand what he wants us to see from his word this morning. Would you open, uh, uh, would you uh, join me as I open in a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a big God. Uh, I love hearing music about the greatness of our God. Because that's what you are. You are great. And Father, it would be foolish for us to think that in a matter of minutes here that we could discuss everything there is to, to say about you. But Father, we want to just grasp something today. One thing from your word today. Would you help us to see it? Help us to be transformed as your, your word is open to us. Let it begin with me, Father. Would you cut to my heart today from your word your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So as we look to the scriptures, we trust that you will open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things out of your law. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask this. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 6, page 311, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 21, and specifically we'll be looking at verses 18 to 21. It's found on page 311. And we'll be looking at at the time of, of King Solomon, King David's son, it was the, really the high mark of the history of Israel, whether ancient or current. The reign of Solomon represented the highest mark of the nation and people of Israel. And if you go over to Israel today, and, and if you don't know me, I, I was privileged to get to go to the Master's University down in Southern California. I absolutely loved my experience there as a student uh, with friends, had a great time. But of all the fun that I had down there on campus in Southern California and enjoying the beach and the fellowship and chapel and everything, 
the highest point of my education was that I got to go for three months and study in the nation of Israel. It was a wonderful time. I got to be there and, and get to study the geography and the history, got to study the scriptures, and we traveled around, and we got to see sites that pertain to Old Testament history and, of course, sites that pertain to the life of Christ. But one of the things that, that stood out to me uh, the most while I visited there was the handful of times that I got to go and, and spend time at the Western Wall, or what some of us would call the Wailing Wall there in, in the uh, old city of Jerusalem. And what's amazing there is, is when you go in and you see the Western Wall, you, you go to this section of, of the wall of the ancient Temple Mount, the structure that was built by King Herod leading up to the time of Christ, so in the first century B.C., right before the time of Christ, he started to build this temple mount. And actually, he was trying to rebuild and, and establish a new temple or a second temple after the one that Solomon had built that we're going to look at this morning. But when you go to Jerusalem and you see this western wall, it's certainly not as wide, I wouldn't say, as this back wall of our auditorium here. It's a section of the wall, and it's not even a section of the wall that, was, that represents a side or a wall of the temple of Herod's time or the time of Christ. You see, this temple was, was burned down and destroyed in 70 AD, and all that we have remaining of this temple structure is this wall, which actually represents the uh, outer retaining wall of the temple mount during the time of Christ. And when you go to Jerusalem and you see the, the, the Jewish people there praying and they have their, their rituals and their traditions of how they pray and it's, it's called the Wailing Wall because of some of those traditions and the way they, they call out in prayer and this repetitious bowing, but they're praying and they're crying out to God and all that they have left is just a section of the wall that represents the outer retaining wall of the Temple Mount. But it's quite a moving scene to see, and it's, it's quite a moving place to be. And I, I got to go there and, and go down there real close to the wall. I was there at the wall, but there's a section, a path that you could go down, and you can get down to some really huge stones that were present during the time of Christ on this wall, and it's amazing to see. And the tradition is, is that you go and you pray, and, and what you could do is you could write down a short prayer on a piece of paper, and you could put it right there in the wall. And, and I got to do that, and that was a very special moment for me. But that's all that's left of the temple in Jerusalem for the Jews to be able to go and experience. A very special place for them and in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 12 to 21, we see that Solomon is at the moment where, you see, his father David, he had been collecting all kinds of wonderful resources, wood, and, and they were uh, at rock quarries getting out stones and, and precious metals that were getting shipped in from all kinds of surrounding countries. And David, Solomon's father, had collected all of these materials, but God said, David, you're not the man that's going to build the temple here in Jerusalem. He passed that task off to his son Solomon. And so now David has passed away, Solomon is king, and in chapter 2 he begins building the temple. And here we come to chapter 6, after years of building and craftsmanship, building one of probably the most amazing structures and beautiful structures in the history of all of mankind. Here Solomon is and he's done 
building along with all of his craftsmen this beautiful temple in Jerusalem. And we come to Solomon. Solomon says a prayer of dedication for this temple. And this is what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 12 through 21. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the court, and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David my father what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth, and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I've built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. This is just the beginning of Solomon's prayer, actually. We won't read the whole thing. He gives all kinds of circumstances following in these verses about when God's people pray here or at, the, at this temple, or if they're not at the temple, if they point their faces toward the meeting place that God sets up here at the temple, when they pray here. But specifically looking at verses 18 through 21, we see two things about Solomon's prayer here. We see first that Solomon recognizes that God cannot be boxed inside a building. You cannot fit God into any box, no matter how hard you try. You see, Solomon had spent so much of his life, and he had spent all the resources, or many of the resources, that his father David had collected, the very best kinds of wood, the very best kinds of stone, the very most precious of metals. It says here, in, in, during the reign of Solomon, silver was so abundant that they just didn't even consider it worth anything. Gold and beautiful precious stones, and they built this beautiful temple. But the first thing that Solomon recognizes is this, huh, I don't care how big or how beautiful this house is. You can't box God inside of it. Psalm 11.4 says something similar to what, what Solomon says. It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test, 
the children of man. Solomon was seeking to build a temple on the earth where God would dwell amongst his people, but he recognizes that God is way, way beyond any kind of box that you could build. In fact, he says here in our text, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, 18, will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built And in the sense there of this, this highest heaven is saying, Solomon is saying, look, the universe, if you you just look at our blue sky and and then space and you look at the moon and then beyond that our planets, and then you look at the sun, which is 93 million miles away. He doesn't say that in this text, but he's talking about the heavens here. And you go off beyond that to the stars in our galaxy. And then you go beyond that into the galaxy, beyond our galaxies. And you take it all together. God can't fit there. And beyond that, he says, even the abode of God with his angels in the highest of heavens. God, that can't even contain you. Solomon is saying, look, I've built this building here, but I want us all to recognize first and foremost is that God cannot be boxed inside this building. Indeed, the entire universe is not big enough to contain the immensity of this great God. The prophet Isaiah said something similar to this about the temple several times. In Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 2, it says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, that's a really nice house you built for me to come and meet with you, but come on now. I made the stuff that you used to build this building with. You think I could be contained inside this building? No, God is much, much bigger and greater and more immense than that. Isaiah also says in chapter 40, verse 18 through 23, he says, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman crafts, casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for, for it with silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set, it up, to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? <laughs> Do you not hear? Has it not been told from you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretched out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. He's saying, look, I dwell in the highest heaven. The nations that surrounded Israel, they thought that they could fit their gods into their little boxes, their little temples. They would take precious metal and stones or, or wood if they couldn't afford all those other things. And they would carve out these, these idols and they would put them in their houses, their little temples, to worship their false gods. And, and they thought that their gods could be contained in those little temples. But God is saying, haven't you understood? I'm the God who sits above the earth and all the inhabitants... I look down at them like grasshoppers. 
In our text, Solomon is just recognizing who God is. At the dedication of the temple, he's saying, this is great, but in one sense, it's worthless because, God, you could never fit inside this box. Is there a house big enough for God? Well, there's two ways to view the temple here. There's two ways to view view the temple that were prevalent during the time of Solomon and during the time of Israel. Here's the wrong way to view the temple. The wrong way. It's thinking like this, that it's the place where God exists. It's thinking that, that Israel could contain him there with no impact on what they did outside the temple. Their religion, it was confined to a space and they could manipulate God and they could fit him within their establishment or their building or their institution. If they had God boxed in at this temple, they could do whatever they wanted and worship whatever they wanted on the outside. This was utter foolishness, but it was the kind of ideas and philosophy that was prevalent at the time in the nations that surrounded Israel. See, they thought that they actually could build an idol and call it their God. And they thought that they actually could build houses that their gods would live in, but not so with this God. But it was a temptation for Israel to think about the one true God the way the nations thought about their God. And that was the decision they had to make. Are we going to view the temple this way? That God exclusively exists right there in the temple. And so I could go and worship him in the way he wants me to worship him there at the temple and then walk out and he doesn't exist outside those four walls. Therefore, it doesn't matter how I live or who I worship when I leave. Utter foolishness. Heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain this God, Solomon says. Jeremiah says in chapter 23, verses 23 through 24, the prophet, Jeremiah says, speaking about God, God is saying, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? The prophet Jeremiah is speaking, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and God is saying, look, I don't care where you go, I don't care where you try to hide, I can see you because I'm everywhere. Don't be fooled in thinking that this temple limits me in any way, shape, or form. That is utter, utter foolishness. But this is the way the the, the pagan nations around Israel thought about their gods. It's how they thought, they compartmentalized their lives, and they had their gods in their boxes. But Solomon is urging himself and urging his people to say, think about God differently. The right way, the correct way to the the temple is this. Not that God only exists there, but it's the place where God dwells. It's the place where God dwells. It's his habitation amongst mankind, amongst people, was the temple All the way up leading to this temple being built, God had moments where he would come down and and where he would actually come into his creation and and influence it or, or speak with people and talk with people. The very first place was the Garden of Eden. 
It's the place where God created, right when he created the first people, Adam and Eve, right where he could have perfect communion with them, and they could speak with him anytime they wanted to. But because of sin, because of our rebellion against this perfect God, God said, you cannot be in my perfect presence any longer. And as part of the judgment for sin, God said, I am kicking you out of Eden. You no longer have a dwelling with me because of your sin. And ever since that day, mankind has been craving and longing. Will there ever be a place where God and men can dwell again together? The temple is one of the most first significant steps that God takes to say, I'm coming to dwell with you. Up to this time, God had dwelt among his people Israel in this tent, in a tabernacle, where the presence of God was. And God's people knew that's where God dwells among us. He can't be contained there, but that's where he dwells among us. But now Solomon has built this beautiful, beautiful building for God to dwell among his people. But see, it's not where God exists exclusively. It's where he lives. It's where he dwells. He's bigger than anything that any human can make, and there he, therefore, he deserves their obedience in all their lives. See, it's where he dwells, but he, he encompasses everything. He's everywhere. And so just because you worship him here at this temple doesn't mean that you could leave and live differently. He demands all of Israel's allegiance, all of their obedience. They couldn't build a house for him. Nevertheless, he chose to dwell in a place where they would meet for him, with him for prayer, sacrifice, and forgiveness. If you would, please turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Is there a house big enough for God? Deuteronomy chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 2. Now this is going back a little bit before Solomon's... One of the great patriarchs, Moses, is getting ready to, to allow the people to go into the land under the leadership of Joshua, and he's retelling the law to them one more time so they will not forget. But God and Moses are anticipating, knowing that one day God was going to choose a city and choose a place where he was going to dwell among his people. And this is what he says about it in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down their carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that uh, we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. 
But when you go over to the Jordan, and when you live in that land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. When you get there, when you get to that place, Moses is saying, then you may go there to worship, where I make my dwelling, where I make my habitation. God was promising in Deuteronomy, he was saying, someday I'm going to put my name on a place and on a site, and there is where I will dwell with you. And he warns them, he says, don't go out and start worshiping at the other high places and start worshiping and bowing down to the idols that are in the places where the nations are where you're going to go to that land to possess. Because see, when Israel started to take over the land, there were all kinds of forms of idolatry all over the place. The nations that lived in the land of Canaan before Israel went in, they were idolaters. They, they, they had uh, abominable forms of worship. But God says, Destroy all those places because I'm going to choose one place where I'm going to dwell with you, where you're going to sacrifice, where you're going to pray, where you're going to seek my face, where you're going to seek my forgiveness. You see, the temple was not where God would limit himself, but it's the place where God would locate himself. God could not be confined to this space, but he did choose to put his name there among his people. This is the recognition of Solomon. He understands that God cannot be crammed into this box. He's much bigger than that, and he, he deserves all their allegiance, whether they're at the temple or outside the temple. It's not the place where God would limit himself, but it is the place where God would locate himself, where heaven and earth would intersect so that God's people could meet with him. Well, first we see Solomon's recognition in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 18 to 21. But second, beginning in verse 19, we see that Solomon first recognizes and then he makes a request. Verses 19 through 21 say, Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be opened day and night toward this house, the place where you promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Solomon's request now is that God's eyes would be open and his ears listening when his people would show up at the temple. He says, oh Lord, would you, would you hear our requests? Will you forgive our sins? Solomon understood this is the place, Israel. When you got to cry out to God, point your face to this place. This is where God has decided to locate himself among us. 
Friends, Israel, when you sin, Solomon says, when you sin, point your face to this place, come to this temple, cry out to this God. This is where he's decided to make his presence known. And God, when you see us, would you forgive us? Forgive us. This is the problem ever since Eden. Is there any place that we could find forgiveness with God? And God in his mercy finally said, yes, I'll locate myself here at this temple and you can have your sins forgiven when you cry out to me toward this place. The prophet Daniel understood it. We see it at least twice in, in Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel chapter 9. There is Daniel, this prophet, years later, Years later, over in the land of Babylon, eventually taken over by the, the kingdom of Persia, and he's thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, and his heart is burdened because his people Israel are slaves, and they're in exile. What does he do? He goes up to his room. He's opening up his windows, and he points himself toward Jerusalem, toward the temple, toward that meeting place, and he says, Lord, see us, forgive us. Deliver us. He understood that God in his grace had chosen a place to meet with mankind. That's why the Jews practice this today. They go to that western wall, that exposed section of the Temple Mount, and they go and they bow and they pray and they pour out their hearts to God and they say, God, God, where are you? You see, the temple doesn't stand anymore. You see, Solomon in all of this glorious temple that was built around, oh, probably 900 to 1000 B.C. You see, just 400 years later, 586 B.C., because of Israel's sin and wickedness and idolatry, they didn't follow God's commands. They didn't stay committed to worship Him alone the way He said He ought to be worshipped. They sinned in their hearts. Their hearts were tempted and drawn away to worship idols, and so God punished them. He punished them. He removed them from the land. He destroyed the temple in 586 B.C. And now all Daniel could do is he could go back and pray and say, Lord, where that temple stands, remember. And our friends, our Jewish friends today in, 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 in Jerusalem, they go and they, they bow and they pray and they wail and they moan. There's no temple here. When will you meet with us again? They're waiting for God to come and meet with them so that God would hear their prayers and God would forgive their sins and they're crying out in desperation for God to restore a dwelling place with mankind again. What Solomon is praying is that although it's impossible to build a house big enough Solomon was asking God to make the temple the place where he would dwell with his people. And God agreed. The glory of the God filled that temple. The Ark of the Covenant was brought in to that temple and this shining light overwhelmed all the people of Israel because the glory was there and they rejoiced knowing there is a dwelling place with mankind where God is willing to meet with us, to hear us when we pray, and to even forgive us when we sin. But it was all destroyed. The glory of God was removed 
the temple was burned to the ground. And King Herod later in Jesus' time tried to resurrect the second temple in the glory of Solomon, but it was never the same. It was never the same. And so Solomon's question in, in 2 Chronicles 6.18 had a different tone to it now. He was asking because he understood that God can't be limited to a box. He asked in 2 Chronicles 6.18, will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? But after that temple was raised to the ground, the question is asked a little different way. Is there ever going to be a place where God will permanently dwell with his people? Is there a place? Is there a place? Is there anywhere that God is willing to locate himself? Is there any place that God is willing to hear us, mankind, the Jews certainly, but all of us, we're all separated from God. Is there any meeting place? Is there any place where God is willing to dwell so that we could find him, that we could pray to him, and that he would forgive our sins? How can we ever connect with God again? Is it hopeless to think that God and man could ever dwell together? Praise be to God. God has resoundingly answered by his grace and by his mercy. I'm not done yet, friends. I'm not done yet, world. I'm not done yet, men. I'm not done yet, women. I am going to come and reveal myself and make sure that you can meet with me again. God has done this in three ways. He's done that in three ways. And that first way is through his son, Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.9 says this about Jesus. For in him, Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You see, God couldn't be boxed in a building in that temple that Solomon built. But the miracle of the incarnation is that all the fullness of God would be located in a person. In Jesus the building failed because of our sin, and so God says, I'm actually going to come down and live among you. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm dwelling among mankind. Not just part of, the, of, of deity. Colossians 2.9 is clear. It's the whole fullness of deity. John 1.14 says, And the Word of God, who is Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, after Solomon prayed this prayer of dedication in 2 Chronicles, the glory filled the temple. But because of their sin, the glory was removed. They didn't see the glory again. But here Jesus comes onto the scene and he's full of all the glory of God, full of grace and truth. We don't have to look to a building. We don't have to look to a city. We've got a person who's Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. If you would, turn with me to John chapter 2, verse 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. Is there a house big enough for God? Two, uh, actually, we'll look at verse 18, John chapter 2. 
But verses 13 to 17 is a very famous scene where Jesus sees all of uh, the temple. At that time, it was Herod's temple, not Solomon's temple. It was a second temple. And the temple mount was being used as a marketplace. And Jesus was righteously angry and he righteously just chased all of the money changers away. And, and the Jewish leaders, they were offended by this. And so in John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, listen to this, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will you raise it up in three days? They didn't understand what he was saying. They thought the temple, the building, the stones they were standing on was what he was talking about. But listen to what he means. Verse 21 of John 2, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is a profound statement of Jesus. And in fact, if you look at the times when Jesus was in front of the, 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 the high priests and the ruling leaders, they, they were bringing charges against Jesus. And they go back to this one quite often. They said, didn't you say that you would destroy the temple and in three days raise it up? Now they were misquoting Jesus. Jesus didn't say, I will destroy the temple. He said, go ahead and destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Jesus is referring to himself as the temple. He is referring to himself as the place where heaven and earth intersect, where God dwells with mankind, where we can find a place that we can pray. We can find a place where God is willing to listen to us, where we can find a place that God is willing to forgive our sins. Friends, it's not found in a building. God cannot fit in a box, but it was found in a person who is Jesus Christ. The Jews were counting on God locating himself once again in this, this second temple that Herod was building at the time. But Jesus was saying that something better was here himself. God was located right in their midst in the living, breathing Son of God. Friends, today, for you that are sitting in our seats here in this building on the Valley Bible Church campus, I want you to know that Jesus is the place where you can meet with God. Amen. The temple of Solomon was destroyed thousands of years ago, but today he is, God is saying, I want to meet with you once again. Would you come meet with me in my son, Jesus Christ? Have you met with God in Jesus Christ? Have you come to the temple who is Jesus? Have you come to him to find forgiveness? You won't find God in what the world has to offer. You cannot meet with God in another religion. Jesus said, John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are not temples. There is one, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way you can meet with God. He is where heaven and earth intersect. I, I implore you, I plead with you, meet with God today in Jesus Christ. He's all the temple you need. You can't fit God in a box, but because he loves you so much, he said, I won't come in a box anymore. I'm going to come in a person. Come 
meet with God in the temple who is Jesus. Well, the miracle of all this is that this presence of God continues. It came in Jesus Christ, but now also, secondly, God's second response is that every person who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus' forgiveness is indwelled by God, the Holy Spirit, and is therefore an individual temple of God. Do you see this, friends? You receive this Jesus. You receive this temple. And when you receive and turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, he actually takes up his residence inside you. God lives in you, Christian. He lives in me. We are individually temples of God. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you'd like to, to go there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh." But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What a profound statement in the context there is Paul is saying, hey, you can't say that you know this Christ and go on living in the perverse ways that you once lived. Here's why. Not just because it's a bad idea, because you, Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've got God, the Holy Spirit, living inside you. You are a walking, breathing, living, seeing place where heaven and earth intersect because God has decided that he's going to live inside you. Sometimes I wish, man, I would love to have been at that dedication ceremony that Solomon had to see all that glory. But then I think to myself, wait a minute, it's so much better now. I don't have to travel to a place in the Middle East. I've got God living right inside of me. And Christian, you've got God living right inside of you. Therefore, treat your temple. Treat your temple in a way that honors this God. Let me ask you a few questions about you as an individual temple. Does God have all of your life? Do you try to compartmentalize God into an aspect of your life? That's what Israel was guilty of. They compartmentalized God. They said, God, you're in this little temple. And often we do that too. I've got God in my little compartment. I've got him all wrapped up in my little visit to church on a Sunday morning, maybe a couple of times a month if they're lucky to see me there that often. But I do my duty, I sing some songs, I bow my head when it's time to pray, I read my Bible, I open it up to the right passage, 
even when he's flipping around to a whole bunch of different places. And then I go home and it has no impact on my life when I leave these walls. It's the same sin, friends. God doesn't want you in, he doesn't want to live in a compartment. Indeed, he can't. Even the highest heaven can't contain him. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, Christian. God deserves all of you. Is he your highest priority? Is he your highest treasure? Is he your highest joy? You, Christian, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's third and and final answer to this question, does God dwell among mankind any longer, is that God has decided to make his dwelling amongst his people collectively. God's people, the church, are living stones that are being built up into the new temple of God. If you're looking forward to a new temple, look around you, friends. Look at, I'm not talking about the ceiling, the lights. I'm talking about one another. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are being built up as living stones into a new temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, Do you not know that you all, or y'all, is the way we would put it because it's plural. It's not you as an individual, it's you all. You all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you all are that temple. Paul is saying you, you all of us together, we are the temple of God. It's not located in a city any longer. It's not located on a hill. It's located in people, all of us coming together. That's what makes our gathering so precious. It's the time when we start to come together and we act like the temple of God, where heaven and earth intersect. Happens right here in our gatherings. Amazing. Ephesians chapter 2. I won't turn to many more. Thank you for your patience. Ephesians chapter 2. It says in verse 19, so then you, or you all, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Every time we gather together, every time we build each other up, every time we say an encouraging word, every time we see fruit when we have a friend that we invite or we speak to and we lead them to the point where they are converted and they repent and and they put their faith in Christ, that's another stone being added to this, this building, this temple. You, friends are the meeting place of God amongst mankind. Amazing. It's you. For what purpose? 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we were saved for a purpose. We are God's people for a purpose. I will just read one verse from there. It says in 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain 
from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the Gentiles. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. But he says before that, in chapter 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, that's Jesus Christ, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, you're the place not just where we meet with God. You're the place where the world has any hope of meeting God. There is no hope in this world for our unsaved friends and loved ones to meet with God. You're the only hope they've got. Therefore, abstain from the passions of your flesh and let them see your good works that they could be added to this living building and glorify God on the day of visitation. Friends, as you, I love it that when we gather together in closing, as we gather together each Sunday morning and in our small groups and, and whatever we do when we come together, it is a place where God meets with people. But as we scatter right now, and we're going to close in prayer, as we scatter, you are going out as living stones, as the temple of God. When you go out to lunch after this service closes, when you go to your workplace tomorrow morning, when you go out on the commute or out to Starbucks or back to school, you carry with you the presence of God. And this world so desperately needs to know, is there a place where God meets with mankind? Friends, it's through you as you point them to Jesus, the dwelling place where God meets with his people. Will you represent God this week? Would anybody see that you're a place where, where they can meet with God because you carry God with you? What an awesome privilege. What an awesome responsibility. People are searching for God they're searching for purpose. They're searching for meaning. They're like Solomon asking, will God dwell with mankind? The same question. Christ in all of us, in all of you, is the answer. Will they know it? Will they see it? Jesus in us, God's temple. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what could we say to such things? Even the highest heaven cannot contain you. But here you are dwelling in our midst in this building in Hercules, California. Here you are dwelling in this, this weak, fragile, broken man. This man that has fleshly temptations and, and sins and pride and arrogance. But oh, you said, you've come to me through Jesus, so I'm going to live in you. Oh, thank you, Father, that you've got people broken people in this room that you're living in right now, walking, breathing temples. But Father, there's no greater temple than your son, Jesus Christ. He is the meeting place where God condescended to come and live amongst men. I pray for every saint here that they would grow closer to Jesus, the temple of God today. But, oh, Father, I know that there are somebody in this room right now that has never met with you through Jesus. Oh, Father, I pray that the separation from you would be broken and that they would come and meet with their creator through Jesus Christ. 
Do a work in their heart right now, Father. Thank you so much for meeting with us. You are so gracious. In Jesus' name, amen. If there, if there are any of you that, that want to meet with Christ today, and you don't know how to do that, we're going to have some leaders down front that want to show you how you could have your life transformed forever through the temple who is Jesus Christ. Won't you come and find out more? Thank you. God bless.